A reading from the second chapter of Ephesians, beginning at the 11th verse. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were off, were far off, excuse me, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to who, to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also built, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. And if there's any children in the room who would like to join me for a children's message, you can join me right back here in this room. Thank you, Jessica. Kids' word time. We'll be right back there with Jessica. As we continue together in God's word, uh, I'm reminded as... Some of you may know that my family and I just got back from vacation. And uh, on vacation, not only were we at a camp by a lake, but we also had some weekend time together as a family. And we went and were transported back to another time and place by going to a theater to watch a movie. And there, inside the theater, uh, although just the six of us and maybe not too many other people were there, Uh, we were transported again, this time through the film, right? And good stories, good films do that. They transport you into some different time and place. They take you into the story. And I don't know, my family likes to make fun of me because uh, maybe it's because I'm a good stoic Norwegian. I don't uh, show a lot of emotion very often. But when I'm watching movies, well, shows my family, the, the Italian side of me comes out and tears come flowing and uh, emotion. And uh, oh, my goodness, it is transfixed, isn't it, when you get into a good film like that? Or even sometimes, sometimes films are hard to watch, especially the ones that uh, remind us and tell the story of true life events. I can't help but think of the powerful nature of that film, Schindler's List. I mean, who enjoyed watching it, right? 
And yet it was powerful and important. And even the, the heroism that would later be displayed in that film in the light of the terrible human depravity that was uh, related to us there, even the heroism was complicated with human selfishness. And on a much greater and grander scale, I remember when I got to an early showing in Los Angeles of the Passion of Christ. And I'll never forget the stunned silence in the room as the film came to a close and displaying for us the power of what Christ had done on the cross. It wasn't easy to watch. And some of us, as we walked out of that theater silently, felt the power and love of God and all that he had done for us and were in awe. And some of us, I know one of our guests was a, a, a Jewish rabbi that evening, walked out stunned by its power and confused by what it could possibly mean. As we come to God's word, and we'll do that in this book of Ephesians, we'll recognize its power, maybe even experience its love that Christ is communicating to us through his word. But unfortunately, like a powerful film, sometimes when we come to the scriptures, we come out feeling the awe and love of it, and sometimes we come out confused, maybe even cringing at some of its phrases. Maybe like you do when you show your kids an old movie from your youth, and you're like, oh, we, we, we talked like, we said, the, oh, we don't say that anymore. But sometimes we walk out of the film, walk away from scriptures, not really sure that it really has anything to say to us. But of course, the word of God is no mere film. It's greater than any great blockbuster. God's word, ultimately Jesus, the word made flesh, doesn't just have the power to take us into another story, it actually has the power to transform us. And so my prayer, my invitation is, is that as the scripture that we've heard read for us by Jessica today reminds us that we would come into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit as we enter into this text. That we would not only recognize its power, but receive that which God is doing through it. And so we're going to walk through this book of Ephesians that one scholar calls the sparkling gem of the New Testament canon. A canon is just a way of saying it's the authoritative, it's the authentic, true story. Another scholar put it like this, that no part of the New Testament has more contemporary relevance than the letter to Ephesians. They'll even go on to say its importance 
as God's message to the modern church has been recognized in a variety of ways. So it's not just important to the first century. It's important to us here in the 21st century. Let us come into its presence and not just walk away recognizing its significance and somehow powerful, but not knowing how it connects with us. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to unpack and reveal for us what God has in store. Let's provide some context. Let's go back to Mediterranean and to Ephesus there. That was, as historians and other scholars will report, it was the fifth largest city in the region. It was a cosmopolitan area. And this letter that went to Ephesus and the church there and to the whole region and most scholars and many agree that it was an encyclical letter, which means this letter was meant to be passed around from city to city and church to church. And, And so Paul is speaking to a cosmopolitan region where business transactions, folks are seeking their good through and value through their success in the world and business. There's all kinds of, not unlike our world today, pluralistic experiences with God, temples and pagan worship services. And there are even those who were seeking uh, new realities in their sexuality and those reaching new plateaus and celebrating their citizenship as Roman citizens. It was this pluralistic cosmopolitan environment that a Jew would speak to this Roman Greco world. Now what an odd combination. Because the Jews in the Roman Greco world they didn't have much of a melting pot. It was more like a collision. The Apostle Paul, this Jew, speaks about these realities as he writes this letter. In chapter 1, you kind of get a hint of his own story, although he doesn't tell it explicitly. But as he speaks, as one Greek scholar pointed out, that from verse 3 to verse 14 in chapter 1, it's one very long sentence. There were no verse numbers or punctuation in the Greek but it was eloquently written to remind us of the power of God's grace. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul, you may know, used to be Saul, and he, who had been an esteemed Jew, also was concerned about those blaspheming Christians. Even overseeing, we know at least one death of a Christian, probably more, until he encountered Christ, until he encountered the rich mercies of God in Christ Jesus. And now here he is, this Jew telling his story and this promise, not only to the Jewish world, but to the greater Roman Greco world. And then we turn the corner into chapter 2 where we'll spend most of our time today. And it begins with this really startling but feel-good phrase, right? And you were dead. 
Well, that's good news. You were dead in your sin and trespasses. Sometimes a band-aid just won't do it. Sometimes you need greater intervention. Sometimes you need a physician to help you with that wound. Sometimes relationships can't just get fixed between the husband and the wife or the two friends. They need a counselor or a pastor or another friend to intervene. If your heart stops, you don't do CPR on yourself. You need an intervention greater than yourself. And when you're dead, you need someone who can overcome death. And this, this is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so he says in those famous verses Paul does for us, in verse 8 and following in chapter 2, after telling us we were dead, for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing that anyone can boast. It's the work of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And because of that good work, we move from death to life. Intervention by the only one who can do it. You can't, I can't, only God can. And therefore, we are God's workmanship, God's work of art, created, created for good works that he has prepared for us. And that's where we drop in now to verse 11. And verse 11 in the today's reading begins with that word, therefore. And you all know when you read a word, therefore, in literature, it's pointing back. It's pointing back to all that we have just heard. Paul's long sentence on grace, that we were dead, and the only way out of that death is life from Christ. And as another Greek scholar point out, it's not just a therefore, it's a remember. And that verb for remember there isn't just a one-time effect. It really means keep remembering. And so how do we live? We live, therefore, by keeping on remembering that we were dead and now we've been made alive in Christ. And when we remember that, it changes how we live. Now, Paul will mix his metaphors in these 10 or 11 verses. Your high school teacher, as one author put it, will tell you not to do that in your English class. But Paul does it for our good. He says that there's a great wall of separation. That wall of separation is first because of our sin between us and God, but it also extends between us and one another. He says that there's a citizenship, one that you know, but one that's a new one that's coming. And he mixes these metaphors so that we can understand just what he's doing because there are all kinds of barriers that separate us. Even good things, right? Like not more than a week ago now, maybe two weeks now, we were celebrating the 4th of July. I don't know about you, but my family was enjoying patriotic uh, songs and, and watching the fireworks. It brings us together. 
Of course, real quickly, the rancor of politics separate us. There are barriers. What barriers are in your life that seem impossible to overcome? The barrier of a Jew preaching the good news to a Roman Greco citizen in that region was a pretty huge barrier. You can get it, the idea in some of Paul's thinking when he talks about there being a hint of just two races. In, in, the, in the Jewish mind and the time, there were the circumcised, the Jew, those who were bearing the promise. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant and there were the uncircumcised. So basically there were two races in their mind. There were the Jews and there were everybody else. Unless you think they were the only stuck in the muds, the Romans were proud of their citizenship and their identity as well. Plato was once even quoted as saying the, the barbarians, that is anyone who's not Greek, were his enemies by nature. Pretty huge barriers. Now while epic stories and, and hearing the testimony of someone else's story might be able to help us get a connection with those folks or maybe even great and wonderful education, all those things are good and right. None of them have the power to break down those barriers. Those kind of barriers that we have seen separating us from God and from each other for generations, not just in the first century, but even our century. And everything in between. On our own, left to our own devices, without God's intervention, we're just different shades of green. Let me tell you what I mean. Bishop John Reed, I read about his story this past week. He was a bishop and servant in Australia. And I presume he was doing some ministry work and he had a busload of ind uh, indigenous folk and, and it also included non-indigenous folk. So you guessed it, the indigenous folk were darker in skin and the non-indigenous folk were lighter in skin. And he was wanting to bring everybody together and tired of the divide. And so he pulled over his bus and he said, in my bus, everyone's green. There's no black and white on my bus. We're just all green. He thought he'd solve the problem. So he got back on the bus, started driving down the road again, only to sadly be disappointed to overhear the conversations that would follow something like this. Okay, all the darker green people sit over here. All the lighter green people sit over here. Now you laugh because it's uncomfortably, sadly true. The power to deal with the barriers that separate us between us and God, it makes sense that we need God to intervene, but we also need it between us and others. And so when we get to verse 13 in this text, we discover where the power is. Jesus, his own flesh is sacrificed so that we could have peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. 
And then you keep going into verse 15 and you hear this strange phrase, the law is abolished. And you say, wait a minute, didn't just last week we learn that the law is still good and it's a two-edged sword and we can, yes, it's not that the law is abolished like it goes away, it's the separation between us and God that the law had once separated us from God, but now it brings us together because the law is fulfilled by Jesus himself. The law that was once given only to the Jews, although they were blessed to be a blessing and that never seemed to happen too much, now it's finally being made complete. There's no longer, as one scholar put it, room for mutual disparagement between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. We all come needing the grace of God. We were all dead and we all need God's intervention. Now believe me, in the first century, this was offensive to the Jew as it was offensive to the Roman Greco person. That there would be just one foundation, only one, only one way to this salvation Not all those multiple paths as they knew in the cosmopolitan nature of Ephesus. That the law would be abolished. That Jew and Gentile would come together. All of this was offensive then as it is for us today to hear often. But for God, what other reason, one of the incredible testimonies to me of the beauty and truth of the resurrection. And that, by the way, the book of Ephesians has a focus on the resurrection. It's no wonder. What else could bring these desperate groups, these enemies together? They would have no other reason to gather as one body were it not for the resurrection of Christ. No other reason to bring Jew and Gentile together. The walls of racism and sexism and all kinds of other isms are being broken down by the person of Jesus. We were dead and we are made alive because he rose again. You know, we talk a lot in our culture today about wokeness, being awoken to a new reality or avoiding and not becoming a cancel culture. If you truly want to live into a new humanity, if you want to be made alive into something new, it's not going to be designed by your own ideology or your politics. If you do it on your own, you'll just be different shades of green but by Christ Jesus and his work, we can be transformed. He draws us near to God. We were once far off, but now we're drawn in. And our sin is finally dealt with. And our hearts are being made new. And we have a new way of doing life together. And the body of Christ is then gathered. There's reasons why we have so many programs around here. Just this morning, Scott was leading donuts and and devotions for our youth earlier today. I know you're thinking, why don't I get my donut at this sermon? Sorry. There is coffee after worship, though. 
There's Bible and brew for our men. There's, there's small groups and Bible studies and gatherings because we need each other. We need to come together into the unity of Christ and do what? Remember to remember. And keep remembering who we were and who we are now in Christ. And when we remember to remember, when we keep remembering, whether it's coming in contact with Christ for the very first time or remembering anew, we are transformed. And so friends, it's time to deal with the fact that outside of Christ, you and I are dead. That we need intervention. And that we need one another to help us remember to remember. Will you come to Jesus either for the first time or for the thousandth? He defines your reality. He gives you a new citizenship. And a citizenship from the one true God. He is the one foundation where the fullness of life is built upon. He's the cornerstone. Hear these words from today's reading one more time. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's you and me. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Remember to keep remembering and let His Spirit transform you. For you were once dead, and in Christ you are now made new. Amen.